Hello and welcome to Dress Fancy, the podcast about fashion, fantasy and fancy dress. I'm Lucy Clayton and I'm here with cultural historian Dr Benjamin Wilde to discuss our very favourite subject. Now, this episode is particularly dear to our hearts because, of course, it's nearly Halloween. So we're celebrating with an unashamedly indulgent tour of our Halloween highlights over the years. Now, Americans spend $1.2 billion on adult costumes and $1 billion on children's costumes at Halloween. So make no mistake, this is big business. And the UK isn't far behind. Perhaps encouraged by American exuberance, our keenness to join in seems to be gathering momentum, with Mintel estimating 3.2% year-on-year growth in spend from an already robust £320 million. In 2001, that was a measly £12 million. Now, you might be thinking that £12 million can buy an awful lot of witches' hats, but we'll discover later costumes are becoming increasingly elaborate, competitive and expensive. This episode is going to focus entirely on adult Halloween, so we'll talk about children's costumes in the future. So this is an exclusively grown-up party. And we're very glad that you can join us for it. I think at this stage, we're in episode six, and Lucy and I have been genuinely overwhelmed by the positivity of the feedback that you have given us for this project. So thank you very, very much for that. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to make this episode so centred around the subject of Halloween is not just because this is clearly something that we love, but also to, I suppose, in a sense, introduce a little bit more about ourselves and explain why we wanted to begin this project and our series on fancy dress costume, when a lot of people might suggest it's just a little bit niche. (laughs) (laughs) So Lucy, do you want to maybe think or guide us through what is it about fancy dress that you find so compelling. Well, I suppose we should say first that in this scenario, you are technically, you are the expert and I am a mere enthusiast. (laughs) I like the way you emphasise technically. (laughs) (laughs) Because whilst you legitimately do work in this area and are actually writing a book on it, I spend a lot more time at the glue gun end of the spectrum. (laughs) I I think though, in in terms of sort of fancy dress, that's the more legitimate end. Oh, do you think? Okay. You've got the kind of practical experience. Oh, yes. I mean, I've been hospitalised due to fancy dress. So you've Uh, got the quite literally scars. I have got scars as as a consequence. Yeah. So, See, I've just got paper cuts. <laughs> Re- <laughs> that reading the books count. and things. No, it's not quite the same. <laughs> we wanted to introduce ourselves a bit better through the vehicle of Halloween because it's obviously the biggest and best dress-up opportunity mm. in the calendar. To answer your question, I think, you know, I have since childhood mm. been very fond of the idea of creating outfits. For me, it's much more about the visual impact of the outfit yeah. itself. I actually have very little interested in embodying any other mm. persona or character. It's much more, it's purely a visual exercise. That actually is so interesting because from my sort of side, I suppose, sort of with the, with the mortarboard firmly on <laughs> in this sort of academic mode, it, it is very much the psychology of it. Yeah. Maybe this, as you've begun to um, realise, dear listener, that this podcast series is very much cathartic for us <laughs> both, I think, more, perhaps more so me, as the previous episode demonstrated. But because I've I think probably had a few more costume fails than you, Lucy, right. um, possibly. Well, maybe we should talk about that. What's been your most triumphant Halloween moment or indeed your worst? 
I'm going to start possibly with my worst. Okay. So I'm going to build to something triumphant Great. or trite. I'm also very conscious that we don't have and indeed never have had sound to accompany this podcast. This could be the episode where we have a, a violin sort of subtly playing right. in the or background. Right, or just cry. <laughs> or cry, yeah. So maybe imagine, <laughs> listener, some sort of violin sort of wistfully <laughs> playing in the background as I relate this woeful tale. So I'm probably about sort of six or seven. And my sister and I are both sort of preparing for a, a Halloween event at school. And the, I think the intention was that we just, it was a school happened to fall on of sort course, of Halloween. Right. So we were just, you know, wearing something for the day. So it had to be quite practical. Mm. I do seem to remember that I was wholly neglected and that all of the effort focused on my sister's Halloween oh, costume. That's hard. Don't ask what it was because I blocked it from my mind <laughs> and I can't remember. But I went as a train driver. Okay. And you might be thinking, one, that's a slightly disappointing choice. And I now would agree with you. But you might also be thinking, what makes a train driver's costume so sort of indelible in the mind? Right. And that, that's also a problem because I essentially went wearing either jeans and a jumper, maybe wow. dungarees. The only sign, the only indication that this was actually a train driver's uniform at all was a baseball cap that I wore. That's not what train drivers wear. Shh, shh. Don't, don't ruin this. Don't ruin Sorry. this. I want your sympathy, not your criticism. I've been through this, you know, my, <laughs> many times myself. But it was it was a baseball cap, and the logo on the front, on the crown, had essentially been covered with a circle of paper and written over the top in felt pen. I seem to recall was G W R for the Great Western right. Railway. So this was the only clue. Wow. Maybe, oh, that is that is weak. It really you is. Poor thing. Maybe I also had. I was going to say black boots, but I actually don't think they were. I think they were the, those sort of, I was going to say hideous, but I, I don't don't offend other people, but sort of <laughs> desert boots or something like the beige sort of oh, colour. Oh, right, like a Timberland. Exactly that, which, you know, clearly, I think the listeners will be able to realise that just so doesn't suit who I am, even at that age. And of course, in school, this was the great fail. I was constantly being told to take my hat off when I was indoors. <gasps> oh, no. So, of course, the, the, oh. the, the one thing that actually gave oh, my outfit. Oh, for the seven-year-old Ben. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that gave my outfit any sense of sort of visual coherence wasn't there. So, it was constantly throughout the day, oh, what are you dressed as? Or why haven't you bothered? Why in a, in a very bothered, ac accusatory tone. So, that was a, a particular low. Okay. Um, Give me your high. Well, my high was actually at your Halloween ball ah. um, last year. And I happened to have a red tweed suit. And frankly... As one does. Absolutely so. <laughs> so this was made for me. Not incidentally for Halloween. I just decided I wanted a red tweed suit for my wardrobe during the winter months. But I thought, obviously, in a more practical way, a red tweed suit really does lend itself to Halloween and a sort of devil-type sort of scenario. Of so that, that, that gave me my starting theme. And I was a little bit concerned about sort of ruining the suit or stitching things on it. Yeah. But I, I thought, I'm going to have a little creative moment. I'm going to make <laughs> up for that woeful, absolutely pitiful and pathetic train driver costume. And so I bought some sort of fabric number sixes. So three of them, six, 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 which I sewed lovingly Ooh, well onto the back of You didn't my... go with the glue gun. You went... Do you know, I didn't. <laughs> I was sort of concerned about the longevity of my suit right. and what my tailor would do to me if he found out what I'd done to his <laughs> coat. So I, I, I sewed six, six, six onto the back. I was having a little McQueen moment, yes. thinking back to his autumn winter collection of 1997. And I bought some black horns, which were meant to, I think, go around your head on some sort of string or something, which is sort of tied under the chin. Oh, I see. So I yeah. cut those up and then I 
huge health and safety risk on reflection. But oh, there I, were many health and safety uh, well, risks. Well, yeah, that, that, that is true. So I, I think I, that's I sort of fit one in. of many. Um, and I sewed these more sewing. Get me these black horns in, into my shoulders. So. Well, horn shoulders. There we go. Which was, I was quite chuffed by that. Actually, you did look very good. We uh, should say. I mean, we ought to really, in the spirit of this podcast, share these images. Oh no, I'd already thought of that. The oh, image is already selected. Oh, fine. I'm He's not embarrassed at all. Okay, we're gonna. <laughs> no, no, no. But we don't get a train driver picture. Does one exist? Do you know? I don't know. I'm not going to go looking for it. Okay. So that's you're going to have the um, red tweed suit. We just need to imagine you in a pair of jeans and a, and a jumper. And then got I, I'm hoping that the image of me in a red tweed suit with the little horns and all of that, well, that will be the dominant image. Okay, so I've it's given a good you, one. I think so. And if any of you are, are still listeners thinking red tweed suit, you will realise when you see the image just how marvellous a thing it really is. It really um, is. Trust me. Really well, you don't need to trust me. You can look at the image yourself. Exactly. Um, so I, I feel as though I've... So you've you've recovered I, I've, I've been bottling up that up for some time, um, <laughs> but I, I do feel I, I hope there is a sort of triumph. So now we need a sort of trumpet fanfare or something. Yes, to replace the violin. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so, Lucy, regale us with your stories. I mean, my worst. I never consider myself so, so great is my fancy dress ego that I don't consider myself ever to kind of have really messed it up. Yeah. My disasters are usually to do with sort of either injury or restriction as a consequence of having been too <laughs> okay. ambitious about right. costume. Oh, right, yeah. And the best example of that, or rather the, you know, the worst moment for that was I had a Halloween party, I think it must have been maybe 2014 or maybe 2016, the theme of which was, I think it was Legends and Fairy Tales. Oh, that is a great theme. Yes, and it, lots of people came in all sorts of magical, it was all very sort of... Uh, I did a kind of wonderful forest Ooh. in the dining room. It was good. Yeah. And I had decided to go in armour. A bit to cut a long story short, I commissioned custom made bespoke armour from a company in That's the Ukraine. Incredible. Wow. <laughs> who I found on the internet. Yeah. So you have to order it in advance, obviously, with all your yeah. measurements. So I was measured. And it takes ages to make custom armour. It, it uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't know where to start. Can't just yeah. brush that out. So months in advance, I had to send off my measurements. And basically, it was a metal, cantilevered metal corset with a leather lining. Wow. And then a skirt that looked almost Roman in mm. its, its sort of, you know, uh, panels of leather yeah. and metal split. It was, it was a remarkable thing. And I, I realised that none of this is sensible. You have to send your measurements off months in advance. Mm. And I had had, I'd done my waist measurement, I'd done all this, and I sort of thought, well, you know, this is a big party. Yeah. I'm, I will be quite a lot thinner yeah. then than mm. I am now. So I took off, I think I took off at least an inch from ah, my measurements okay, yeah. on the basis no, I, I that, you know, that, yeah. I'm going to be party prepping, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, all of that. When it arrived, in fairness to me, even if it had been the correct measurements mm. and an inch, I think that would have been okay. I would have been able to get away with it. Yeah. The reality is it bore no relation to any measurements anyone had ever sent. And it was absolutely tiny. It was the the waist of this thing was sort of, well, it was child size. Oh, my goodness. So I could barely get, I mean, I could mm. get in it, but I had to buy something to cover the fact that my back, most of my back stuck out from between the lacing. <laughs> <laughs> there was a good kind of hands width of so, flesh. So we've gone from something that was sort of fantastical to quite frightening. Um, it was and, and, really ugly, yeah. It was well, not I mean, good. I mean, just for you in terms of comfort. Oh, well, no, there was no comfort. So that then the problem was is that the leather, the quite harsh mm. leather lining, then in addition to the fact that it, it was a child size <laughs> and it was made of metal, so it was no given no. at all, 
So to cut a long story short, I'd started bleeding around about the first course as oh. it sort of started ripping into my skin. And in the end, I had to, well, actually very early on, I had to take it off. Yeah. And instead I wore um, a sequin top from Topshop, <laughs> which was quite, <laughs> which was, you know, I had great hopes for my, mm. my armour. So the, the moral of the story is don't ever commission armour. But what's equally impressive is that you had a, a backup. And being sequins, I'm kind of envisaging that looked a little bit like chain mail. It did. It did. And the skirt was fine. It was just that it was brutal, this Mm. corset. I still have it. And it actually, when I was moving house, I found it in the bottom of a... And it actually made me laugh out loud. Its (laughs) size is just not... It's not human at all. What was good about that party is lots of other people came in in a kind of sort of Game of Thrones sort of spirit. Lots of the boys came in armour with big shoulder pieces on and... For months afterwards, I would. Everyone got obviously completely hammered and very, very drunk. And there were, in all of the door frames of the downstairs of mm. this house, there were sort of chunks taken out at exactly shoulder height where people had sort of bashed in <laughs> bashed their and their armour. It's sort of you know, which I kind of love. I think oh, that's a, a brilliant battle thing. So, yes, scars, quite literally. Yeah, for oh. the poor house. So yes, that was my fail. And then I don't know. I mean, a triumph potentially. My mm. triumphs tend to be children's fancy dress, so I'm not allowed to talk about okay, them here yeah. that's because you don't need as much skill to put together a kid's I, okay. outfit so we'll but we'll we'll save that for another time well i was pretty happy with my lady macbeth oh, that was which beautiful. is at the same yeah. party that you mentioned before so the theme of that was scoundrels ball and i wore a full-on tartan yeah. gown from jenny packham with a red gucci belt which i then lost in the night oh no i know <laughs> ended up in the Vauxhall tavern <laughs> At like 3 a.m. Um, someone's probably having a really nice time with that. And I guess there might be a moral to that story. Yes, exactly. But... <laughs> and then I spent a long time mm. researching. As you can tell, I kind of can get rabbit holy about yeah. the sort of detail of this. Spent a long time researching the correct and best fake blood sort of movie oh, level yes, or theatre yeah. fake blood because obviously I needed to have red hands and I wanted them sort of almost to look like evening gloves mm. up to my, my my forearm. So I spent a long time on that and experimented with a couple of versions. And the final one I used was brilliant and did exactly what it said on the tin and, you know, I can't criticise the product. Mm. But what I hadn't <laughs> realised <laughs> was that, A, I've got really hairy arms. So that's a problem because the the blood dries and starts to crack. And basically it was like wax. I was oh my, hosting oh, a party wow. whilst also feeling like <laughs> I was waxing <laughs> my arms. It was hard to have fun. Wow, yeah. yeah. So it was cracking and very, very uncomfortable. And so I actually had to wash it off quite early on, which felt like a defeat, mm. I have to say. But other than that, I was very yeah. happy. I had a red crown. I spray yes. painted the crown red. It was good. It was yeah. good. Lady yeah, Macbeth yeah, also is of a it good... Are that it was a yeah, beautiful striking costume. Yeah. And again, there will be, if I'm going to do my wedge tree suit, you've got no excuse. Okay. Uh, the, um, I'm very Lady happy Macbeth with that, so you can definitely see that will be picture. on the Instagram feed for you to delight in, listeners. Again, to talk about, you know, as a child, I had to wear lots of terrible costumes alongside my sister. And I always felt that she was sort of given the more glamorous version. So a bit like you, really. Mm. So she once looked... Absolutely exquisite as the Statue of Liberty. Oh my, oh wow. And I went as a present. So I was wearing a box, <laughs> which was wallpapered. I'll never forget it. It had yellow, stripy, Laura Ashley wallpaper. And it had the bow on the top of my head. And you and were going to the same... we were, Well, it was a competition. Oh. It was a summer fate. And she, I, obviously, she I was gonna say, won. I can't help thinking that that contest between the two of you had been yeah, was, sort of won before you even yes, left. A, a... My mother had decided who was going <laughs> to win it. Uh, yeah, I looked ridiculous. And the face, in, I don't know if I've got the picture of this, I'll try to find it, but my face shows exactly how I feel about this. It's not gracious at all. 
<laughs> but I, I think yeah, that, that this is the joyousness, but also as we've been expressing the trauma, much trauma that, 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 that can yeah. be unleashed. <laughs> yeah. Now, for such a popular festivity, the origins of Halloween and All Hallows Eve remain quite unclear, don't they? So you know, it's all very well us talking about our sort of bonkers. Halloween costumes now and we're all very comfortable with the concept that Halloween basically means dress up crazy and then trick-or-treating or or if you're a grown-up partying hard and and, and having a hangover. But this sort of mystery around how this started and how Mm. we got to this point, let's talk a little bit about that because it feels like an interesting journey. Yeah, I I think you're right because... When we think of Halloween as you've described and indeed as we've regaled you with our stories, that's largely something that's a product of the first half of the 20th century. It's only really from the sort of 1940s, 1950s that Halloween, particularly in America, but but globally as well, has sort of blossomed into this sort of fest of sort of consumption of colour and confectionery and everything else. If we trace it back, though, is, is in some ways as difficult as it might be, we're essentially going back to the Celtic festival of Samhain, which marked the end of summer and the sort of transition into winter. And of course, this was something that in sort of medieval ancient times was really important because, of course, it would mark a huge transition in terms of the way that people are living, how they're spending their time in terms of sort of the harvest or or cattle, et cetera, that they're they're looking after. And I think what was particularly interesting is that at this moment, as we pass from summer into winter, as we sort of pass, I suppose, this sort of seasonal boundary, we're entering a a liminal space, a sort of betwixt and between, neither sort of one or the other. Yeah, and it was... This idea, in a sense, that the boundary almost then between these seasons was porous. And so, too, was the boundary between reality and fantasy. Right. And we do see this in other cultures. I mean, in our previous episode, we mentioned the, the Day of the Dead. Yeah. And it is this sort of idea, this notion that, again, the boundary, which is often quite permanent, quite fixed, quite solid, between the real world and the sort of netherworld or the world of, of, of the dead, at this moment becomes sort of blurred. So there is that sort of transition. So I think that's that's where it begins or where it picks up its sort of supernatural element. It's not necessarily a done deal, though, because in the 5th century, when St. Patrick is working really, really hard to convert the Irish to Christianity, he is borrowing, or or perhaps a more appropriate um, term would be co-opting, some of the festive props from the festival of um, Samhain. So bonfires, the sort of torches, to encourage conversion to Christianity. And what we do tend to see is a grafting of what become Catholic or Christian festivals over the top of earlier pagan festivals. So, for example, where previously at this liminal moment you would celebrate or try to commune with ancestors um, or enjoy, if you like, the moment of a fluidity between the real world and the sort of netherworld. That obviously doesn't bode very well or or work very well as far as Christian strictures are concerned. Yeah, different agenda. Exactly so. So instead, what the Christian church does is to create on the 1st of November the Feast of All Saints. Right. And this was essentially a a slightly sort of mopping up of all the other saints that didn't have specific days. But it also becomes a sort of festive focus to extinguish, if you like, in some ways quite literally, the fires, the sort of fanfare that went along with Samhain. And of course, later in the 16th century, the Protestants were equally unimpressed with Samhain because it was regarded as superstitious. 
But I think what's really important is that as much as there are these naysayers, as much as there is a religious backlash to Samhain and its ideas, obviously we're celebrating it today. So these ideas right. um, died hard. And in terms of, I suppose, the trajectory from sort of the 16th century through to the present, it's a little bit more difficult. But essentially these ideas as Irish settlers are moving to America, they're taking some of the sort of festive traditions with them. But also more generally, the 19th century, often regarded as a sort of period of a, a sort of reinvention of tradition. So as a backlash to industrialization, the disruptive pace of social change, people want to... I suppose, re-engage with sort of communities and re-engage with the natural world. And a lot of self-appointed experts are sort of rediscovering all of these sort of ancient and, and local festivities. And, and Halloween or Samhain is, is one of those that they sort of revived during the 19th century. And what accounts for its rapid rise, its meteoric rise, I think, in the early 20th century is a product of, in some ways, I think, the ideas that we mentioned in our previous episode with film. Right. So, for example, in 1939, you have MGM releasing The Wizard of Oz. Not, in a sense, naturally a Halloween film, but if you think about The Wicked Witch, yeah, you know, you've so got those kind of, of tropes. Yeah, yeah, feels applicable, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. And I think also, particularly after the war, when you have the end of sugar rationing, but also I think in the period immediately after the war, when you have what is often referred to as a, as the youth quake, this idea that after the sort of trauma of the first and then the second world war, you can be anyone you want to be. And this is very much the view that's taken by David Scal, who's written a book called Death Makes a Holiday, which we'll reference in the show notes. And he says it's during the 1950s, during the 1960s with this idea that, you know, you can be what you want, that encourages dressing up, that encourages play pretend. I also wonder whether there is a connection during the 1950s, particularly with America wanting to vaunt its sort of capitalist strength, because, of course, we also have here the beginnings of the Cold War. Right. And do you think that's all tied into why it does always feel in Halloween terms like the UK is catching up or as we said mm. in the introduction that we're sort of catching the trend yeah. that is something that's much bigger and better in America. I think so. But I think there's also, I mean, particularly in the UK, 5th of November, you then have bonfire night, which of course is a specific UK, I mean, festivity, I suppose it's become, yeah. to celebrate the survival of Parliament from Guy Fawkes. So, I, I mean, I, I do wonder to what extent... It's just a diary issue. Uh, yeah, I, I, think that, I, I think it is. Yeah, you know, you've got these two festivals yeah. both coinciding at roughly the same time, both involving sort of nighttime festivities and, and frolics. So whether that's a factor in, in diluting the perhaps appeal of Halloween, or at least, as you said accounting for the fact that the UK is perhaps playing catch-up, yeah. I think, yeah. So why don't we talk for a little bit about current examples mm. of Halloween, our favourite example of sort of popular culture, because I think it is such a brilliant moment. Yeah. You know, and actually, again, in fashion terms, you know, it's covered by the newspapers, yeah. both here and in the States now, as a sort of real moment, not perhaps as you know big as sort of the red carpet of the Oscars, mm. but there is a moment where it's sort of newsworthy, particularly with the adoption of big Halloween yeah. events by celebrities. Mm. But I think you're right, because it, it's almost as though this, this news interest is a product of the fact that Halloween is almost regarded as a sort of cultural barometer. So what people are dressing as is somehow indicative of wider themes, wider ideas within society at that moment in time. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, the best example, mm. I think... I mean, I'm so fangirl about Heidi Klum. And <laughs> well, her, yeah, yeah. You know, she really is the queen of Halloween. And, you know, she has been running or hosting a Halloween party for over 18 years. Is it that long? Yes. Wow. Gosh. And the way she entirely embodies mm. a character is, is for me just, it's like, like I love a theme and it's her unwavering commitment to mm. that theme, which often involves real elaborate showpiece and, mm. and a huge amount of, you know, we've talked about discomfort, which, you know, is I think part of the gig, yeah. but, you know, she will spend days in prosthetics mm. before mm. Uh, Jessica Rabbit look, which was 2015. And she was unrecognisable. You know, she really looked more animated than human. And dressing or wearing prosthetics days before so that on the moment she can perfect the look. Yeah, or it just takes forever because obviously that sort of level of prosthetic technology isn't done at the drop of a hat. You have to be measured, you have to be, you know, you're sort of in the lab, as it were, Mm. getting ready. And she, you know, all these pictures we will show you, but she looks, well, she just doesn't look. No, no. It's just entirely unrecognisable. Similarly, in 2011, she just took all her skin off. So (laughs) she was stripped and airbrushed to look like an anatomical drawing and arrived wheeled in on an autopsy table. Wow. So she took seven hours to look like Michael Jackson's thriller video werewolf. A working day. Yes, a full working day. I don't think there's any problem with that. Um, And my absolute favourite was in 2006 where she went as both the apple and the snake and then Seal, her husband at the time, was a sort of blonde Eve. He rather let the side down, I feel, in this in this image. Maybe that's why they got divorced. But the reason that she dressed as Apple and Snake was because she was pregnant that year. Oh my goodness! That yes, is a whole isn't that new... clever? Oh, that is amazing. So she, there's a lot of there's a whole load of Freudian mm. things going on in that particular wow. setup. But you know, so she's got the sort of her tum hidden in the sort of. Crazy apple, apple, and then the snake kind of is around her body. I mean, it's inspired. She's inspiring, I think. She has done everything from Cleopatra, which we've referred to in other episodes, Mm -hmm. through to an elderly lady. She's done Planet of the Apes, complete with ape nipples, very prominent ape nipples. Oh, yeah. She's turned up brilliantly with five model clones of herself, which slightly backfired because she obviously is infinitely more beautiful than the others. I think there was a definite, I would have loved to have seen that casting brief, but it was very funny. Perhaps one of the best is an eight foot transformer with hydraulic shoes. I mean, there is nothing that this woman cannot do. That is incredible. (laughs) I'm just thinking now that my extensive sewing that I I, I did reference, (laughs) and I'm just referencing again for the um, listeners. We we were all caught that you Um, you definitely did some sewing. (laughs) But it's slightly mediocre in comparison. It is. Just yeah. slightly. You might want to not look at these images that we're going right. to share with everyone for, for Heidi. But it, it, I, I can imagine, though, as much as you would delight in receiving invitation, there is almost, in a sense, the expectation that's possibly on you. To... Oh, yeah. You're not wearing an animal onesie to this. No. No, 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 <laughs> no. But then at the same time, if you went to the levels of your host, that would also be completely... I think there would need to be a very careful political I would love to see the wording of those invitations yes do not outshine yeah it would be very hard though it really would I think even at my most my level best most extreme version of Halloween I am 5% Heidi Klum I hate to say it I hate to to admit it but I am a realist I don't even feature on that scale then (laughs) no you don't not as the train driver no No, you don't you're not you're definitely not getting an invite thanks for bringing that up (laughs) Again, yeah. Ben, what are your favourite popular culture moments in Halloween? 
I like the ones that are really sort of zeitgeisty and have an almost element of sort of psychology uh, um, behind them as well. So one of the ones that I absolutely love is a costume. We'll, we'll show this in the Instagram feed of a millennial. So obviously full of angst and concerned <laughs> about his well-being and, and, and psychological state. So he's essentially wrapped entirely in bubble wrap. Brilliant. He has packing labels that say fragile all over it. Snowflake. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, and I just loved the, it was just so instantly obvious what it was talking about. It was dark and funny. It was just right. really quite beautiful. Another one that I've, I'm not sure I particularly like it because it took a long time to get, but was the avocado. Well, you know, you often see on Instagram these sort of rows of people all dressed in identical avocado suits. And I was for a long time thinking, what's the reference here? Right. What am I missing? But of course, it is just the fact that as again, as a sort of millennial, any lunch or meal is not complete without the ubiquitous the avocado. avocado. And this clearly is a thing. That's I was funny. reading in a, a newspaper recently that so many people are... I don't know what I don't particularly like avocado, so I don't know what you do with it. But like peeling it or deep stoning it, or I don't know what implements you use. We've uh, erred into cooking. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I I will will remove from that area um, (laughs) very quickly. But there is apparently a new tool that enables people to scrape, poke, or whatever it is they're doing with their avocados to their heart's content. But it's now been redesigned so it doesn't damage the user's skin. Such, obviously, was the concern with all these avocado users. Gosh. Um, Well, that's very Halloween-y. Yeah. An avocado covered in blood would be a much better... (laughs) Exactly. So I'm thinking I might try and have, you know, a a, a sort of costume that's sort of linked to that. But I think these costumes really do reference the zeitgeist that are, in some ways, quite barbed. I like a little bit of satire in in my um, fancy dress, I think. There have been lots of examples of particularly beautiful... Women like Katy Perry mm. or Emily Ratajkowski dressing as Marge Simpson. Katy Perry was a Cheeto. Yep. They're sort of taking very mundane mm. or very kind of ubiquitous things and then dressing as them. I think that's kind of interesting because it's sort of the opposite to my, and I think to Heidi's, strategy on fancy dress, yeah. which is to pick how nice can I look and then I will let vanity build the theme around me that way around but clearly what they're doing is the opposite which I think it says something about you know Mm. I'm still beautiful as Marge Simpson feels like quite a kind of aggressive demonstration I think think you're absolutely how hot they are which I really admire them for Mm. but it's definitely because it's quite ballsy you know there's a risk there that it could backfire yeah it's like she's saying I'm still beautiful I've got this four foot blue wig on (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, but again it reminds me of I think something we mentioned in a, in our last episode, but an article that Cecil Beaton wrote for Vogue, where he's essentially encouraging people to do exactly that. That if you put so much effort into your fancy dress, if you are appearing with prosthetics, if you are appearing as a sort of transformer, that you perhaps are going too far. Right. That actually looking just a little bit shitty is that you haven't tried that hard. That's the skill. Right. So you're almost trying hard to make it look like you haven't tried hard. Which I suppose does, in the sort of those examples of uglying up, yes. to, that does apply, doesn't it? Mm. They're sort of saying, yeah, I'm not trying because... You don't need to. Here's my Cheetos outfit, <laughs> which I just chucked on. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some effort that's gone behind I it. think there's, yeah. It, it's like kind of almost a going on <laughs> yeah. um, kind of indifference almost, um, I think. <laughs> 
We have loved sharing our Halloween <laughs> highlights. We would love to know yours too. Join in the conversation on Instagram at Dress Fancy Podcast, where you can see all the outfits we've referenced today, even our own. And you can message us there or email dressfancypodcast at gmail.com. We'd particularly like to hear about your costume fails, share your worst ever efforts or examples of where it all went horribly wrong. We'll be doing an episode on Halloween horror stories and we'll include the best messages in that. I should just say we're really doing this just so I feel a little bit better about my um, <laughs> Please, about my please tell us outfit. your really bad examples so that Ben doesn't feel like the lowest of the please. low. <laughs> please subscribe and review. And if you're enjoying this series, remember we're available on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual podcast apps. Thanks to Mark, our editor, and to Heidi Klum for simply existing. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. 